Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the Warnos Recruiting Podcast. I am CW4 Buzzard with the Warnos Recruiting Company with the team in Europe. Today's special guests are near and dear to my heart because it is the branch that I belong to, the Ordnance Corps. Today, we will be exploring the Ordnance Corps' numerous Warrant Officer MOS opportunities, such as 890, 913, 914, 915, 919, and the two 948 Series Warrant Officer MOSs. Our special guests include none other than the Chief Warrant Officer of the Ordnance Corps, CW5, Danny Taylor. Also joining us is the Ordnance Warrant Officer Personnel Developers, CW4 Fulbert Macarig and CW4 Amato Mania. CW5 Taylor and team, thank you so much for joining us today, and we are excited to hear your input and the different ways Ordnance Warrant Officer MOSs contribute to building and sustaining readiness. Hey, Buzzer, thanks for the introduction and thanks for the opportunity. I think this is a huge initiative and a huge opportunity for us to be able to kind of send our message to interested NCOs that are out there. So for thanks for having us and hosting us today. Outstanding. So now, of course, we're going to start off and share with the audience some of your personal experiences as an ordinance warrant officer. Can you tell us a little bit about your experiences as a warrant officer and how you feel about serving in your warrant officer specialty? Also, why should someone compete to be an ordinance warrant officer, and how is it benefiting the Army? Chief Menia, can you start us off with your insight? Yes, thank you. So I began my career as a 27 Mike, which is now a 94 Papa multiple launch rocket system repair. I thoroughly enjoyed isolating faults, troubleshooting the MLRS, and making minute limit switch adjustments on the firing line and watching rockets go down range. It was phenomenal. I highly respected my warrant officers for their technical expertise and set an early goal in my career to become just like them. I studied hard and I raised my GT score over the 110 requirement and submitted my application. So now, as a 948 Delta electronic missile system maintenance warrant officer, I'm not just working on MLRS. 948 Deltas are responsible for the readiness of all missile and radar systems across the Army. In many cases, Every PCS brings a different missile or radar system, so we have to pick it up quickly and rely on our technical training and experience that we've learned throughout our career. So why should someone compete to become a warrant officer? Well, if you love your job and you feel that you have the potential to become a subject matter expert in your field, I would say to go for it. I did, and I'll tell you that it was the best move I made in my military career. Outstanding, I wholeheartedly agree. Chief Mack, tell us a little bit about your experience. Appreciate you. Uh, I started as a 62 Bravo, now 91 Lima construction equipment repairer. I love being a mechanic and I enjoy working with my hands and seeing the fruits of my labor at the end of the day. Uh, I also love being an NCO, teaching and, and leading soldiers, which truly gave me a mixed feelings about applying to be a warrant officer. Uh, but now looking back, I'm glad I did because I still get to do those that I enjoy doing, you know, repairing broken down equipment and teaching and leading soldiers. The only difference now is that that's what I do every single day. All the way to my last duty station as a CW4, I came down to the motor pool and, and worked with the mechanics. Learn from, they learn from me and I learn from them. So why compete to be a warrant officer? If you're passionate on what you do as a maintainer and a leader, and if you're a person that sees a better way of doing things, or if you're a person that always wants improvement, the warrant officer cohort is the, is the place for you. Outstanding. Chief Taylor? Yeah, I will tell you that I absolutely love serving in the Army. 
I absolutely love being a soldier. And I joined as a 63 Bravo light wheel vehicle mechanic. And I enjoyed working with my hands. I enjoyed working with tools. And there's just that satisfaction of when you're troubleshooting a piece of equipment that maybe you've been working on for a few hours or it could be a few days. And when you finally realize what the fault was, whether it was a bad ground or a bad relay or there was a bad component in the, in the system, when you finally figure that out, it's a sense of achievement. And after about nine years of enlisted experience, I applied to be an ordnance warrant officer. So I would say that a, an interested NCO needs to ask themselves why they want to become an ordnance warrant officer and what exactly does that role mean to them. If you look at the total warrant officer population across the Army, it's, it's approximately 3% of the total Army population. And for the Ordnance Corps, we have roughly 3,100 ordnance warrant officers across nine different MOSs, across the Active Component, National Guard, and the Army Reserve. And ordnance warrant officers have an absolute critical role in building and sustaining readiness and combat power for our Army. Outstanding. That is awesome information. Now, for all those potential candidates listening, who are deciding to pursue this career as an ordnance warrant officer, what do warrant officer in your specialty do as they start out as a new warrant officer in the cohort, and how do those responsibilities evolve over time? Chief Matt, can you educate us on this topic? So thank you. Annually promoted W1 and CW2 reside in the company-level positions in the Brigade Support Battalion and Forward Support Company in, in any types of brigade combat team. It could be armored, striker, or infantry. They also reside in the support maintenance company, National Above Brigade and units and direct reporting units. So in general, the daily responsibilities of junior warrant officer is to manage the daily operations of their specific shops, respective shops, like the 919 Alpha, the ground support equipment shop, the 948 Bravo and the 948 Delta are located in the communications and electronics shop, the 913 Alpha, the armament shop, the 915 Alpha is the automotive maintenance shop, and the 914 Alpha is, is in the service and recovery shop. As a junior warrant officer, you spend a lot of time on the floor doing diagnostic and, and troubleshooting, teaching soldiers and learning from them also. And on the back end of that, you also supervise the maintenance management, the, ma the Army maintenance management system, and also provide timely and accurate reporting to the commander. Then over time, relative to promotion to CW3 and CW4, Warrant officers may reside at the battalion and the brigade level positions or even higher. At this level, the warrant officer has a healthy distance from the shop, from the shop floor, but remains the subject matter expert in his or her maintenance field. Also at this level, the senior warrant officer collects data, conducts trends and analysis, provides guidance or maintenance issues to support to subordinate units, uh, projects fleet readiness, and serve as the commander's number one advisor on all maintenance-related issues that affects readiness. So our big slogan this year uh, for the Warrant Officer Recruiting Company is joining the technical elite, which attracts a lot of candidates. Now, what type of jobs, training, and experience will these NCOs benefit from when considering to pursue a career as an Ordnance Warrant Officer uh, in various MOSs that you guys offer? Chief Menon, can you give us your insight? Absolutely. Thanks. And so for the jobs and experience, I believe they go hand in hand. The most important thing you can do as an ordinance NCO is stay in your feeder MOS, stay in your section. Try to avoid the time in the orderly room and avoid the time in the training room as much as possible. As for the training piece, for 890 alphas, 
potential 890 alphas, it is important to understand the standard Army ammunition system, SAS, explosive safety, ammunition surveillance, and ammunition accountability. Also, you can find a list of Ammo Defense Acquisition University courses located on the USREC website under the 890 Alpha tab. Another an additional courses you can take are the Total Ammunition Management Information System, TAMIS, and the Ammo Ammunition Handlers course, which is uh, taught through installation troop schools. For the electronic maintenance and missile maintenance uh, feeder MOSs, something that we look for in the packets are credentials such as Fiber Optics, CompTA, Security Plus, GCSS Army, and Support Operations Phase 1. All of these courses show that the applicant is seeking more knowledge in their respective field. Absolutely. I think it's uh, definitely insightful for that education for those NCOs out there. Chief Mack, tell us about those 915, 914, 913 series. So I highly recommend aspiring NCOs to serve in positions of supervision and leadership and maintenance management. Examples of these positions are senior mechanic, shop foreman, section sergeant, motor sergeant, maintenance control sergeant, and management NCO. It is also important to dwell in these positions and properly documented in the NCOERs. Properly means quantifiable technical bullets and senior radar comments with excellent promotion potential in relation to the duty title. Also volunteer for additional duties that adds to your technical knowledge as like a TMDE monitor, a safety NCO, quality assurance or quality control NCO, Army All Analysis Program Monitor, and Environmental Con Compliance NCO, just to name a few. Take, take, take time also in attending technical training opportunities like uh, MRAP maintenance course, um, maintenance leader course, GCS Army course, wheel equipment recovery, or track vehicle recovery courses. Credentials are also important, like Automotive Service Excellence, EPA 608-609. Gunsman, uh, really the bottom line is this, build your resume early on. Now, Chief Taylor, from way up there in your foxhole, what are some of the recommendations that you see to these NCOs out there? Yeah, Chief, I, I think it's important to note that we don't count the time that an NCO spends outside of their MOS, either as a drill sergeant, a recruiter, an operations NCO, or a training room NCO. So our requirement for ordinance is to have a minimum of 48 months of maintenance supervisory time documented on those NCOERs. So to add to what Mr. Mena mentioned earlier, when he said try to avoid those positions, to add some clarity, that unit's first arm may put that NCO and may have to put that NCO in that position. And that may be okay, but you gotta understand that we don't count that time because that's outside of your MOS. That's outside of your technical MOS. So we wanna make sure that you have that technical experience and that foundation and that background when you apply to be an ordinance warrant officer. So that's why we look at those particular duties and responsibilities that you're performing within your MOS for ordinance. We also take a close look at the duty description and the duty title on your NCOER. So there's been a few times where we have seen the duty description doesn't always match the duty position or the bullets or the narratives on the NCOERs don't completely accurately capture or match the duty description itself. So just take a take a look at those things. No, that is definitely great advice. And that kind of leads us into this next question, of course. Now, the meat and potatoes of the warrant officer application from your guys, Foxhole, what are some of the common mistakes 
that you see from applicants and and the prerequisite exception to policy process that we constantly get questioned about. Uh, Chief Menon, can you expound a little bit on that? Sure, and that's a great question. We get it all the time, right? So common mistakes include misspelled words and grammar on the resume and throughout the packet. Uh, as for ERBs, the overseas tours don't match the overseas ribbon count on the, on the DA photo. And when talking DA photos, I mean, we've seen upside-down ribbon racks. We've seen U.S. and branch insignias on the wrong lapel. I mean, we're, it's really about attention to detail. Uh, I can go on about, about these, these uh, common mistakes, and uh, we've, we've, uh, we've seen hundreds of packets. But one common error that I want to elaborate on is a senior warrant officer letter of recommendation. The senior warrant officer letter letter recommendation must come from a senior warrant officer in the applicant's organization, and their point of contact must be on the last line of the LOR. If a senior warrant officer is not available or not on the installation, the applicant can contact us, and we can get them in contact with the senior warrant officer in their region. So bottom line up front, our recommendation is to follow the sample packet on the USAREC website and reach out to us if if the applicant has any questions. And to touch on the exception to policy process, so as far as exception to policy goes, the applicant must backwards plan if they, have, if they require an ETP. The USAREC website identifies approximate turnaround times for ETPs. Now, there are some Army requirements that cannot be waived. So those Army requirements are the GT score of 110 or higher, being a U.S. citizen, a high school graduate, or GED equivalent, and a secret or top secret clearance. No interims are allowed, non-negotiable. So if an applicant is over the age of 46, has 12 or more years of active federal service, a type of medical condition, or has any type of misconduct or UCMJ before or after joining the military, exception to policy waiver must accompany the application packet. We will screen the AFS, age, moral, and any prerequisite ETPs and provide a recommendation for approval or disapproval to the appropriate approval authority. Outstanding advice. Now, Chief Mack, could you kind of go in a little bit of detail what you see as far as the mistakes made by applicants and some of the actual prerequisites that we always get asked about uh, and exceptions to policy for becoming an ordinance warrant officer? Yeah, so I just really want to add a little bit more on the Silver Menace uh, discussion earlier regarding exception of policy. A lot of times soldiers put their packets in with, with missing documents and were unable to read the memorandums uh, within the application pa- package. So the, medi- the medicating circumstances must be specific and written in detail. It must include the what, the when, the where, and the why, and the how. And also have a medi- compelling justification to include actions taken by, a- by the applicant to correct the shortfall. And lastly, ensure to submit all supporting documents. You know, these documents are important where we can have the determination to look at the whole picture and able to see if, if that applicant is eligible to be a warrant officer, an ordinance warrant officer. That's great advice. Now, we're all dealing with this turbulent time of COVID and kind of recovering and coming out of it. Now, from your foxhole, once a candidate is selected, what is kind of the average time that you guys have seen uh, from the tenants to walks in the ordinance warrant officer basic course? Chief Manning, could you uh, give us a little bit of information on that? Sure. So once the selection board recesses, a meal per message will be released about one to two weeks later, identifying fully qualified applicants. NCOs should receive a warrant officer candidate school date about six to 12 months out. 
Warrant Officer Basic courses vary in length depending upon the MOS, and they could be anywhere between 9 to 19 weeks long. Warrant Officer Candidate School dates are aligned with Warrant Officer Basic course dates, and that way there is a limited break or hopefully no gap at all between walks and Warrant Officer Basic course. 913 Alpha, 914 Alpha, 915 Alpha receive Warrant Officer Basic course training here at Fort Lee, Virginia. 919 Alphas attend Warrant Officer Basic course at Fort Leonard Wood, and 890 Alphas attend Warrant Officer Basic course at Fort Lee, Virginia as well. 948 Bravos attend Phase 1 of their Warrant Officer Basic course at Fort Lee and Phase 2 at Fort Gordon, Georgia. And 948 Deltas attend Phase 1 at Fort Lee and Phase 2 at Fort Sill, Oklahoma. Wow, that's great information for those listeners. Now, Chief Taylor, we're going to lean on your experience coming from the Warrant Officer Candidate School world at some point in your career. What advice would you give to newly selected NCOs that's preparing for walks? So I will say that, first of all, WLCS at Fort Rucker is six weeks, and it's designed to be physically and mentally and academically challenging. Life as an officer is going to be challenging. It's going to be stressful. So that course is kind of designed to put you through that stress and add, add some stressors to you. Time management, attention detail, and discipline, those things are focused on when you're going through the course. NCOs have to prepare and perform and execute physical readiness training in accordance with the field manual. They have to do road marches. They have to understand how to do land navigation. They have to brush up on those drill and ceremony skills because you are going to perform those at the course because those are basic soldier and basic leader functions. So you have to practice and you've got to prepare yourself and brush up on those skills. And oh, by the way, you've got to be familiar with the Army Combat Fitness Test as well because you're either going to do it when you get to Rucker for WOCS, or you're going to have to do it when you get to Fort Lee for the Warrant Officer Basic Course. So start working on the ACFT now. No, that's great advice. We've been trying to push that message out, being physically, mentally tough to, to get through that course. Now, some of the questions we get asked about all the time is about assignments. A lot of NCOs don't get a lot of choices in their assignments. Now, as a Warrant Officer, do you guys have any input about where you'll be assigned, and kind of the process for selecting duty locations. Uh, Chief Mena, could you kind of educate us on that portion? Sure. So, so bottom line up front, once accepted, uh, your, first, your first assignment, uh, you can be assigned to any command, including overseas. Now, Exceptional Family Member Program and Married Army Couples Program do have a vote, and assignment officers will meet those requirements, but ultimately you will go where there's a W-2 vacancy. You will, have a little, you will have a little more input and visibility within the Assignment Interactive Module 2 or AIM-2 Marketplace for subsequent assignments. The AIM-2 Marketplace was created to reduce talent management gaps and create an assignment process which allows commanders and officers transparency in making informed assignment decisions. You will be able to prioritize available assignments in your manning cycle and communicate with a potential gaining unit. Applicants can research their future MOS authorizations and FMS web, and for more for a more accurate idea of where they're going to be stationed. The applicant will annotate three duty choices on the DA Form 160, but again, they need to understand that they will be at the Army's needs once selected to become a warrant officer. No, that's outstanding. I, we always push to our applicants ordinances, our third largest 
Warrant Officer Accessions Branch. Um, and you guys touched on it earlier, but I wanted to dive deeper into letters of recommendation. We get asked that a lot. Now, if an NCO has aspirations of becoming an Ordinance Warrant Officer, what would you recommend their steps that they take when seeking that LOR? Chief Mack, could you uh, point us in the right direction on that? Yeah, so this is a very good question, right? And I'm glad to answer it. So ideally, the applicant must give the senior warrant officer an intent to submit warrant officer application months before requesting a letter of recommendation. This way, the senior warrant officer has plenty of time to assess and mentor him or her. I want to mention two important things also to remember in order to be successful um, with, with meeting with the senior warrant officer. First, the applicant must have already familiarized himself or herself with the Army administrative requirements and all the ordinance prerequisites already uh, in the website, from the USORAC website. Uh, it can be downloaded, the sample packet down there, and already have working warrant officer application binder, right? And secondly, the applicant must already met all the requirements I just mentioned. And if not, it is okay. Um, but at the very least, the applicant must already have plans of actions for each unmet requirement. For example, if the GD score is less than 110, the applicant should have already have a date to take the GD improvement class. Another example is if the applicant does not have the required six hours of English, the applicant should have already registered to an English class or have tape testing scheduled or maybe a CLEP test scheduled. The bottom line is this. The applicant must show to the senior warrant officer that he or she is already ready to become an orange warrant officer. Absolutely. Great advice. We, yes, we tell the applicants all the time, try to try to be about the 95% completion rate on your packet before you start going down that road. Um, now, I'm going to give you guys another two-part question uh, because you guys see a lot of resumes. Now, when creating your resume, what is the best way to highlight some of the skills you possess and what are some of the most critical skills to highlight? And furthermore, what are some of the most important things to talk about in resume summary page and how do board members view these comments? Chief Mack, can you touch on that a little bit for us? And then Chief Taylor, if you don't mind blessing us with some of that knowledge that you have. Okay, the, the resume is the applicant's tool to effectively communicate to the proponent office and to the warrant officer selection board panel. The applicant can elaborate in detail his or her experience technical skills, abilities, and successes in each position he or she held before. Applicants must write their resumes towards the MOS they are applying for. What I want to see in the resume is this. In, in the Section 4 military experience, our duty description, the daily duties and responsibilities, and also important piece of that is how well did the applicant did his or her job. Um, how did you impact unit readiness and and unit success, and also include your awards for excellent performance in the Section 4 military experience. On the Section 5 civilian experience, list only civilian experience that uniquely qualifies you for the warrant officer specialty you are applying for. Do not list civilian em employment or experience if does not pertain to the warrant officer specialty you are applying for. For additional tips and information on how to develop resume, a sample packet in the United States Army recruiting website is avail available for your download. So yeah, so I'll add, what sets you apart from your peers? What sets you apart from, your, from the other NCOs that are applying? Be concise, be humble, and be candid. Part of that resume and that summary is we are evaluating your ability to basically put your thoughts on paper. 
how well can you write? How well can you articulate your thoughts and place them on a piece of paper? Because as a warrant officer, you are going to write, whether it's an email, whether it's some type of order, if it's an award, or if it's an SOP, you're going to write. So that's our way of kind of evaluating your ability to put thoughts on paper. Having sat on a warrant officer selection board a couple years ago, I will tell you that there's very limited time during the day and that week. So when I got to the resume, I chose to fully read the summary page. That's what I chose to focus on as a board member. So that summary page has to be short, concise, it's got to be accurate, and it should tell me or the other board members what sets you apart from the other NCOs that are applying. So that was just my, my reference when I was a board member, and I'm not speaking for any of the other board members, but that's just what I looked for. No, that's great. And that, that seems to be the consistent message uh, from a lot of those that sit on the board, you know, get to the point, illustrate the, the key highlights of what you're trying to paint that picture. Now, we are starting to get a lot of sister service interests. So what are some of the examples of duty stations that you can go to as an ordinance warrant officer? Chief Mena, could you uh, expound on that? Sure. So like I said before, uh, I was a 27 Mike, now 94 Papa, and uh, I was very limited and where I could be assigned in the Army. And, and back in that time, there were only six duty stations Army-wide that had MLRS units, and that included the schoolhouse. So, and today, the same can be said for our 91 Alphas and our 91 Mikes that are typically assigned to installations with armored brigade combat teams. As an ordnance warrant officer, your aperture is widened and opportunities are increased exponentially. Ordnance warrant officers are on every installation with a brigade combat team. So if you think about that, Bragg, Hood, Alaska, Hawaii, Italy, name the installation, and you'll typically find an ordnance warrant officer there. Outstanding. Now, Chief Taylor, if you don't mind, we're kind of at our last question. As a mentor in the cohort, what additional advice would you offer to a potential candidate? I would ask the answer, why do you want to become a warrant officer? Most likely at some point, a senior warrant officer or even another warrant officer is going to ask that NCO the same question. Refer to the U.S. Army Recruiting Command website. Know what the requirements are to become an ordinance warrant officer. Some of them are waiverable, while others are not. You must have a GT score of 110 or higher. There's no way around it. And if you were like me and did not have a GT score of 110 when you were first interested, you took the classes and you work to increase it to where it was at least a 110 or higher before you applied. So that's not a showstopper. Follow the sample packet on the website. Pay attention to detail. Know what the submission timeline is. Talk with the warrant officer within the MOS that you're interested in. Contact one of the branch proponent officers, either CW4 Macareg or CW4 Mena, if you have any questions. Well, Chief, thank you so much for that advice. And gentlemen, we truly appreciate your time in educating all the soldiers and NCOs, listening to all the ways that they can become ordinance warrant officer. I truly believe after listening to this podcast, they are fully set up for success.